Welcome to the Sales History Podcast with your host, author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, Todd Capone. Each episode brings you the incredible and sometimes strange minds, philosophies, and approaches from sales history's past with relevance to today. Here's Todd. Welcome back to the Sales History Podcast. And before I dig into today's subject, the reason that I do this podcast is really to breathe new life into the individuals whose wisdom we still experience today in the sales profession, even without realizing it. I mean, the dawn of modern sales really took place in the first quarter of the 20th century. And what I want to do in today's episode is bring light to if you were alive in 1922, who would you want to be following on LinkedIn? Right. And that's what we're going to do today is I want to give you the top five influencers a salesperson must follow a hundred years ago, because I believe that each of these individuals left an indelible mark on all of our sales careers, even today. And going through a period where we just finished March Madness, where there's like sales influencer brackets. At the beginning of the year, there's articles about the top 10 people you need to be following on LinkedIn, right? I just thought that why should we ignore the people that really were the foundation for our sales careers today? And that is my goal of not only this episode, but the entire podcast. So let's start with number five. Number five, you've heard me talk about him before. There was an episode dedicated to him. We're not going to dig in a lot today. I encourage you to go check out the interview with a sales top performer episode, which was the last episode of season one. But number five is Norval Hawkins. Hawkins in the early 1900s was referred to as the greatest salesperson in the history of Ford Motor Company. He is also the person that Henry Ford himself often called his million dollar a year man. He's written a couple of books that, for me, I took so many notes that I couldn't put it down. His perspective on sales is absolutely timeless, but the way he explains things have really stuck with me. Now, Norval had joined Ford in 1907 And he was basically brought in to do a time cost study, and he discovered a huge issue in Ford's cost accounting system that was costing them a ton. The resolution to that changed the direction of how the business would procure parts and scale the business. And afterwards, Henry Ford and then his head of production, which is a guy named Charles Sorensen, they assigned Norval Hawkins to be the what's called the general sales manager back then, which today would be a VP of sales. And he kept that role for 11 years, but there's so many great stories. One of them though was when a salesperson complained that they couldn't sell in their territory, Hawkins would have an agent take them into the territory. And in a single afternoon, he would typically sell a dozen cars to farmers and townspeople. And then he would turn those sales over to the agent. I mean, he just thought differently He viewed the world differently, and he helped so many in terms of not only at Ford, but through his books, through his lessons. And he actually, one other side story is, in 1913, he had an appendicitis and went to the hospital. 
And while there, he's looking around at all the things the hospital should change, and he made a list along with a bunch of suggestions. And like one of them was the chair in his room. When it moved, it made a loud noise that was not only jarring to himself, but to other patients. And he just suggested, hey, there's a way to simply make the legs rubber tipped. Well, it turns out with this list, the hospital couldn't afford to make the changes that he suggested. So he went out the day he got out and went and raised $55,000 to pay for the improvements that he felt the hospital should have. Like that's who Norval Hawkins is. He left Ford in 1919 and went to the competitor, General Motors. He was paid a salary of $150,000, which in today's dollars would be a little over $2 million a year. He only stayed for a couple of years. He went back into accounting. He was writing books, but the guy's stuff is gold. And he was an absolute must read in the late 1910s and early 1920s. And for that reason, he comes in at number five of the sales influencers you must follow in 1922. Okay, it's time for number four. You've heard me speak a lot about her too. Number four is Lucinda W. Prince. Lucinda Prince, I have no doubt that she is the pioneer for women in sales. The most famous book on the history of sales though doesn't even have her name on it. It is Birth of a Salesman from 2004. It drives me crazy that I found her accidentally and I think her story is incredible. Any discussion around the history of women in sales needs to begin with Lucinda W. Prince, the pioneer for women in sales, advancing the profession past its male-dominated upbringing. And she devoted her life to it. In 1905, as a member of the executive committee of the Women's Educational and Industrial Union of Boston, she spearheaded an effort to determine what special training was needed by, quote, girls who wished to become saleswomen. By 1909, she had built that up to become a bit of a phenomenon, traveling the country speaking, motivating the development of more courses and more discussions around women in sales, including a book called Saleswomen in Mercantile Stores. Under her leadership, by 1912, salesmanship was being taught in nine Boston high schools for both boys and girls. In June of 1916, Isabel Craig Bacon, who is the director of salesmanship for the Boston Public Schools, proclaimed that there were currently 400 women going through the high school program. Again, they're teaching sales in high school and it was under Lucinda Prince's leadership and there were over 400 women going through just in Boston in 1916. In a speech that Lucinda Prince gave on May 16th of 1916 in Cincinnati, she spoke of the prejudices she had to overcome and how, quote, mothers and daughters came to realize that the position of a saleswoman was one of dignity, responsibility, and initiative that it offered much more chance for personal development in a future than commercial courses, that above everything else, its cultural value was apparent. I've written a lot about her. I've published a video summary. I've done a full podcast on women in sales, but really with a focus on Mrs. Prince. But I believe that she needs to be 
a well-known name in the sales profession, the pioneer for women in the sales profession, and comes in at number four of sales influencers you must follow in 1922. Number three is Worthington C. Holman. Anything I've ever seen by Holman stops me in my tracks. He was brought up through the ranks of NCR in the late 1800s. Holman assisted in putting together the first North corporate manual for salesmanship that you may have heard of before. I'm going to focus some efforts on future episodes on NCR and John Patterson, but this first known corporate manual for salesmanship is a, it's pretty famous. It was used in NCR's corporate sales department and it was really considered the first of its kind. At NCR, Holman was a sales director in one position, ran their advertising department in another, and then became responsible for their various publications. Those publications, well, NCR issued a daily paper to over 900 salespeople and also a monthly magazine to the sales force. Now think about that, a daily paper to 900 remote salespeople in the late 1800s and early 1900s. I just, I keep thinking like, how? Well, he ended up leaving NCR to pursue other publishing opportunities, landing in 1905 to Salesmanship Magazine, where he became not only the editor, but also an investor. Salesmanship, it built up to thousands of subscribers and Holman's writings laid the foundation in that, but through it, it laid the foundation for the profession through his own writings, but also through the way he curated articles from the most successful sales professionals and business people at the time. Now, he might, though, be best known for his collection of something called Ginger Talks. These were writings that essentially sales leaders could give to their teams. They were motivational. They were sometimes controversial, but they were pretty funny and creative and chock full of tactics and techniques for salespeople. These were collected in his 1912 book, Ginger Talks. He ended up merging his magazine, Salesmanship Magazine, with Sheldon's and became the co-editor of the Business Philosopher magazine while also teaching and touring. But Sheldon also wrote one of the original uh, Salesman's Creed in October of 1905, which still stands the test of time. But this guy, he was a quote machine. I, I just, I loved what he used to talk about. But like he had one quote that said, the only kind of order that has any value is the order that sticks. Not merely to drop in, to look us over and then duck out and elope with one of the neighbors. And then he had a second one in September of 1907. If the facts about the line you carry aren't the sort that will make the trade buy it, get another line. Worthington C. Holman, number three on the list of salespeople you should be following in 1922. It's time for number two. And that number two is Dr. Orison S. Marden. I love every word I've read of Orison Marta, but a quote in a 1918 article in the Business Philosopher magazine said it best. It said about him that is the reason why this guy is number two. Here's the quote. It isn't every man who has had children named after the titles of his books. 
Martin was referred to as the best known and most widely read writer on success that this or any other country has ever developed. His 1894 book, Pushing to the Front, topped bestseller lists. He went on to found Success Magazine, which had over 500,000 subscribers, while also writing around 50 books. In total, Martin sold over 1.5 million copies of his masterpieces on sales, business, and success. And, quote, he has received more than 30,000 letters commending his works, telling of the encouragement and inspiration the readers have received, and of how these radiant centers of energy, bound in cloth but boundless in their potentiality for good, have wrought mightily for success, end quote. Is that an incredible description or what? If you were an elite business success in the early 1900s, there's likely a connection to Martin. John Patterson, founder of NCR and the father of what we would refer to as modern sales go-to-market strategies today, was known to have had large digest charts of excerpts from Martin's books, printed in colors on large sheets put up throughout his factories and offices in order to quote, immunize his thousands of employees against failure. Charles Schwab was quoted as saying, I owe a great deal of my success to Dr. Martin's writings. In his 1916 book, Selling Things, and his 1913 book, Training for Efficiency, they're both amazing reads. While Arthur Sheldon is the goat of sales philosophers, hint, hint, might be number one coming soon, Martin was the goat of business philosophers with a keen eye towards sales. If you've known me and you've been listening, you probably can guess who number one is. Number one, Arthur Sheldon. In my opinion, as you've heard me talk about before, Arthur Sheldon is the goat of sales philosophers. Yes, all time. Read the sales history books, and again, there's barely any mention of him. But Sheldon established the sales profession's foundation the right way in the early 20th century through his teachings. By 1908, they were talking about this guy as having, quote, a career so remarkable and interesting from a great number of viewpoints that is worthy the attention of everyone in business. And upon his death in 1935, the Chicago Daily Tribune referred to him as, quote, the author of more works on salesmanship than any other person and, quote, the philosopher of selling, with the, in all caps, the philosopher of selling. The original Science of Salesmanship book that he wrote came out in 1902 and consisted of 25 volumes. You'd sign up for the course, you'd get the volumes and the lessons. But this guy kept rolling. He was publishing more volumes, more volumes, 1905, 10 of them, seven more in 1909, 32 more in 1910. There were 16 lectures, 16 supporting textbooks called the science of business building. More in 1915 and 1919, and again, by 1922, it was just loaded, right? But they kept coming after that. Revisions and following his death, a reprinted edition compiling kind of a best of was published in 1939 where students received 109 lessons. And with it, 
a journal subscription came. It was called The Business Philosopher that I had mentioned when we talked about Worthington C. Holman, where students were actually allowed to contact staff at the Sheldon School for advice for a period of 12 months. They received a credential. They were certified, which stayed valid for three years, called, quote, the Business Council Certificate. They were also assisted in finding employment by his employment division. By the end of 1908, so years back, he had enrolled 30,000 students. And soon students were enrolling all across the world. Thousands of companies adopted his programs for their selling teams. Many students claimed to be as many as 80% were veteran salespeople. So this wasn't just new. Managers, proprietors, executive leaders. By the mid-1910s, one publication claimed the school had enrolled over 250,000 people. Sheldon is famously associated with two quotes. The latter is still used as the slogan for Rotary today, over 100 years later, and it is, quote, business is the science of service and, quote, he profits most who serves best. There was a quote that I love, and it is a description that Worthington C. Holman gave of Arthur Sheldon, and here it is. Quote, he is a product of his time. He is a piece of divine nebula sent spinning through space, the result of a spiritual centrifugal force. But while the times evolved Sheldon, it was Sheldon who evolved Sheldonism. Sheldonism is the science of salesmanship. Wow, like what an incredible quote. I've dedicated an episode to Arthur Sheldon, but there is no doubt in my mind. If you were around in 1922, Arthur Sheldon would be the number one person that I would be suggesting you be following. I hope that you enjoyed this review of the top five. There are tons of honorable mentions. You've heard me talk about James Samuel Knox before. Arthur Dunn, who has my favorite quote of all time, if the truth won't sell it, don't sell it would be on a list that was longer. Miss Diana Herschler, who is considered an expert trainer in, in salesmanship in the early 1900s. There's so many more, but again, these five today, my goal is to bring light to them. I want them to be household names because you're probably practicing some of the things that they were the initial individuals that were laying the foundation for 100 plus years ago. And again, that was my top five sales influencers from 1922. Did I miss any? What do you think? Did we nail it? I would love to hear your feedback. As always, reach out. My email address, tcaponi at salesmelon.com, but I'm hard not to find. Do a Google search. LinkedIn website is toddcaponi.com. Hope you enjoyed another episode of the Sales History Podcast and more to come. All right, thanks. Thanks.